They should do that live next Sunday, don't you think? Well, I want to uh, tell you welcome back. If you were gone for spring break, if you weren't, uh, I want to welcome myself back. And uh, my family had a great time in Colorado uh, skiing. Skiing is one of those things that uh, God intended for humans to do. And uh, when you fly down a mountain uh, that fast, uh, you, you believe in God. And uh, it is really good. And I, I love it. In fact, I, I've said for years we need to do, uh, again, the church-wide uh, ski trips. The, the time on lifts with people, uh, just getting to know people and talking to people, it's really, really a great thing. We ought to do that. So some staff member own that. And next spring break, let's do a trip and uh, make that happen, but we had a great time. I worked in the yard all day yesterday. I just told Meredith a few minutes ago, I can never work in the yard on Saturday again uh, because it affects Sunday. And, uh, and she said, well, then we should move. I said, no, I can do it just on Friday, not, not on Saturday ever again. And uh, so if I move really slow today, you will know why, and you will volunteer to do my yard work for me so that next Sunday will be better uh, than it has been. We are in a very, very special time here at the church, and we're getting ready to launch uh, the, the church at Midtown, and I want to remind all of you, if, if you haven't already, bring your rocks back. This morning, somebody caught me in the hall and said, I've been bringing the rock back every Sunday, and I'm not sure what to do with it. Uh, thank you for bringing it back every Sunday, but these buckets up here at the front, where you got them, or where I want you to put them back. And at the end of the service today, we're going to end with prayer. And uh, one of the things I want you praying about is Midtown. I was there on Saturday, and I mean, it is busy, 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 and uh, people working all over one another. Uh, I mean, just running in each other. You got plumbers over here and concrete people over here and floor people and brick people and electricians and all of it working at the same time trying to get it done. And, uh, and so we're going to be ready for Easter. Uh, there, there will be several weeks for Midtowners to get the rest of it ready. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure what we're doing with the rocks. We may be building bathrooms uh, next Sunday night uh, and working together to get that all ready. Use the bathroom before you come on Sunday at Midtown and, and uh, for a few weeks. But we're, we're going to have church there, and the Lord is going to be honored, and great things are going to happen, and Easter is coming. And I love Easter. One time I told the church I love Easter, and some uh, idiot caught me in the hall and said, you know, Easter's pagan. I said, no, it's not. And, and uh, they went into this whole diatribe uh, of what that is and where it comes from, and I just want to say to you, Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrate here. And quite honestly, in the Bible Belt, there is no greater time. There is no greater Sunday. 52 Sundays a year, Easter Sunday is Super Bowl. Not so that we can all get dressed up and have a great dinner and take pictures of one another. It is the easiest time for you to bring somebody to church with you who is unchurched. People all over Tulsa, Oklahoma are looking for a church to attend on Easter Sunday. Unchurched people are looking for a church to attend. And if you would just say, hey, why don't you come and be my guest this Easter? God could use you in the life of somebody uh, this season. So two weeks from now, we're going to do that. I want to show you how to be involved in that process uh, this Sunday and next Sunday through investing, inviting in those that you love those that you live close to, those that your kids go to school with, uh, those that you care about, and quite honestly, those that you're just acquainted with to invite them to Easter Sunday. And, and leading up to that day, we're showing you how to round people up. Now, I want you to go in your mind's eye with me. First Easter, Jesus taking the beating of all beatings, 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. 
prongs designed to grab flesh and to tear from the uh, skeletal structure. 39 times beaten within an inch of his life, then hung on a cross, nails driven through his hands and his feet, dying for all of humanity, becoming sin, according to the word of God, becoming our sin, dying his soul, being baptized in hell and placed in a grave, wrapped with strips of linen uh, and, and placed like a mummy in a tomb with a stone six foot by six foot rolled in front of the entrance and his body laid there. And for the disciples, it's over, lights out. Mission done. But three days later, you know the story. Jesus rose again. And that stone was moved. And Jesus and an angel were there when the ladies came to meet them as the ladies on their way on that Sunday. How are we going to get in? Who's going to move the stone? How are we going to get into the grave? They find themselves at the grave and the stone moved. Four Gospels, all four Gospels use a different Greek word for the stone being moved. Matthew uses the word, Greek word kaluo, which means the stone was moved. Mark adds a prefix, apa kaluo, which means the stone was moved a distance uh, Luke uses another prefix, Anna, Anna Kalua, which means the stone was moved a great distance. But the first man to the tomb was John. And John uses the word arrow, A-E-R-O, which is where we get our word aerodynamic or airplane, meaning that stone flat flew off of the grave. And in a moment, Jesus stood, and maybe the angels were there as he stood in the grave clothes binding him. Let me get that as they, they pulled the grave clothes off of him, and he moved that stone, and the stone flew into the cliff 20, 30 feet away, and Jesus walked out of that tomb resurrected. Now, we know in that period that, that there was a moment where he met with some ladies, and then he met with his disciples. He had this conversation. He met them on the sea uh, of Galilee. What an amazing story that is. You go to Israel with me, I'll show you Capernaum, where he showed up on the Sea of Galilee. And in the Sea of Galilee, the boys were out fishing, and this playful Jesus walks up on the scene, and they don't know it's him. He is in a resurrected state as he walks the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they look over, they're catching nothing. They've been fishing all night. And Jesus says, throw your net out on the other side. We've been trying all day. They throw it out. John, the one whom Jesus loved, said, I think that's him. And, and as the net went out, Peter jumped out of the boat, pulled his, put his clothes on is what it says. He was fishing naked. And he put his clothes on. And I like to not go fishing with him. And he jumped out of the boat and he ran to the shore. And as he runs to the shore, they catch the fish. They pull the net. So many fish, they don't know what to do with them. They pull them to the side. And, and the number of fish, the scripture tells us, 153 fish caught. I asked a Hebrew scholar while I was there in Capernaum at one time, I said, I don't understand why the scripture tells us 153 feet, uh, fish caught in, in that net. There has to be some reason that that's spelled out in, in scripture that they counted them and the Holy Spirit of God let them record it. And, and he said, the one, five, and three in the Hebrew language stands for I am he. And as the disciples counted those fish, they knew what that meant in the Hebrew language in the Hebrew numerical system, I am he. Jesus had told us all the way back at the Exodus when Moses is saying, who am I and, and uh, you know, who, am, who are you and what am I going to tell them your name is? And he said, I am is all you need to tell them. And Jesus in that moment, as he is in a resurrected state, standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, 153 fish, I am he. And they meet him and they have a fish fry and they sit there and, and on, on the shore and he has these conversations with them. Now Jesus goes back to heaven. After he gives them all the final instructions, we're going to talk about the final instructions for a few minutes today. After he gives them all the final instructions, he shows up into heaven. And as he shows up into heaven, 
the angels gather. And they're giving him a high five and they're hugging him and and they're so grateful for his presence to be back at the throne where he belongs. Absent for 33 years doing the Father's business on planet Earth. The saints of old gather around and Moses is there and Elijah is there and Jeremiah is probably crying and, and, and hugging him and they're all gathered and as Jesus begins to explain to the, to, the disciples, or to the saints that are there and to the angels that are there, as they ask him, Jesus, you did it. You beat hell. You beat death. You beat the grave. Now, what is your plan for this world to know about your plan for them to find a way into salvation that you have paid for, for all of them? And as Jesus looks at them, he says, my plan are those 12, not 11 guys. And I've told them to tell people who will tell people who will tell people who will tell people who will tell people. And all throughout uh, the days, that is my plan. And that's how the world will come to know me as Lord and Savior. Now, I don't think that sounded like a pep rally to the angels. Maybe Michael, you know, looked down and kicked a rock of gold pavement across the street and Scratched his head and said, Jesus, I I don't understand. You beat hell. You beat the devil. You beat sin. You beat the grave. You beat death by becoming sin for a sinful generation and a sinful world filled with people who need a Savior. And your plan for all of them to know about that are those 11 guys. Jesus, they're good guys. But, but we've been watching from up here. Peter, he, he, he's hot-tempered. He's probably a youth football coach. James is old. John is just weird. And this is your plan. And the angels had to have asked, the prophets of old had to have asked, what is plan B? And Jesus said, there is no plan B. That's my plan. And if he were sitting here today, he would extend his nail-scarred hands to you. And he would say to you today, you are my plan. You are plan A and there is no plan B. And some of you may say, well, I don't find that story in Scripture. And you're not going to. I I know it probably didn't happen that way, but just for a second, get in Michael's head. Because this plan, for those of you who are strategists, is a bad plan. It, it, It is not the way that those of you who are trained in strategy, maybe those of you who served in military, I mean, none of us would look at that and go, that's the way to start a religion. That's the way to create a movement or, 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 or to begin Christianity. Jesus had all the resources of heaven at his disposal. He could send an angel or a legion of angels per individual on the planet and, and lead them uh, to show up and to, and to reveal the glory of God. And he, he could make his image appear on every piece of toast we ever eat. 
He has all the resources. He could do a million things in order to introduce us to him and to allow the gospel to go forth in the world. Instead of that, he decides this ragtag group of disciples who couldn't keep from tripping over their own words while they walked with Jesus on planet Earth. That is his plan. And I want to read some passages to you. Some of these final instructions that Jesus gave, I'm going to read you what we call uh, the Great Commission found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts today. And I want you to flip in your Bible uh, between all five of these books. We're going to go in order, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts uh, this morning. I want you to mark these passages of Scripture. I want you to dog ear maybe these pages where you can find them this week as you pray and as you think about how God would use you in the lives of people during this Easter season. And I want to show you the last instructions and some similarities between all of these. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. Turn in your Bible, if you would, there. And uh, I told the first service that we, I, I want one of you who is technologically savvy to create an app for the iPhone and for the iPad, for the Kindle, so that when you turn the page, you hear it. You know, like paper. Well, that'd be cool. And when you sell that app, Derek, I just want 51% of that. And Matthew 28, look at it. Verse 18, 19, 20. Jesus came and he tells his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. The Greek word for all in English means all. And just in case you don't understand what that means, it means all. Nothing left. All of the authority, Jesus has it. Not just on earth, but he has all of the authority in heaven. What does that mean? It means he has all of the authority over the physical world, and he has all of the authority over the spiritual world. He, he possesses all authority. And so there are illustrations and stories in scriptures where he commanded demons to go loose, and, and, and spiritual, evil spiritual beings left. He was in control over the spiritual world. And there are moments in Scripture where he, he produced fish and he multiplied fish and, and he healed the sick. He was God over the physical world and the spiritual world. And just so the disciples didn't misunderstand what they had watched for the previous three years that was now coming to some sort of climax and transition, Jesus reminds them, I have all authority, all of it, in heaven and on earth. And with that authority... Here's what I want you to do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, many scholars believe that that phrase at the end of that passage of Scripture, and I will be with you to the end of the age, is attached to the Great Commission, that it's a conditional promise that what he's, Jesus is saying is not when you go do your own agenda, I'm with you. When you do my agenda, I'm with you. With all the authority that I have, I'm telling you to do this, and when you do this, I will walk with you even to the end of the age, and I will empower you to do my agenda because all the authority belongs to me. Do you know the phrase that appears more in the New Testament out of the mouth of Jesus than any other phrase? Father, give them eyes to see. More than any other phrase out of the mouth of Jesus in all of the New Testament, Jesus said, God, would you give them eyes to see? 
And I don't think he was talking about physical eyes. I think he's talking about spiritual eyes. Again, as we've talked about all through the giant series, that he was saying, Lord, uh, Father, God, Father, God, would you give them eyes to see? And they, they may recognize that they are not human beings with temporary spiritual experiences, but they are spiritual beings with temporary human experiences. Give them eyes to see in the spiritual world. And as we talked about this giant series, there are giants and there are enemies of Christianity. There are enemies of God and there are enemies of us, the children of God, giants in the land trying to attack us and coming after us. And we got to deal with those. And we said over and over for a five-week series and a five-week span of time, you can't just check out on that. And you can't just say, I'm not showing up for that battle and I'm not going to participate because you'll get your tail kicked. But I think the reason it's such a big deal in Christianity for us to live in victory and for us to live in freedom, for us to have eyes to see all the giants that we're facing is for the goal that we're talking about today. And it's for the phrase where Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I think the reason the workers are few is because they're immobilized and they're paralyzed and they're preoccupied, and they're worried about their jobs and their families and their careers and their yards and their boats and their cars and their their agendas. And he's saying, no, 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 beat all of those giants. None of that really matters in eternity. Beat all of that and be on my agenda and pray that the Lord would bring forth workers to go get the harvest. Now, he's not talking about wheat. He's talking about people. He's talking about boys and girls and men and women who need a Savior in the person of Jesus Christ. Flip over to Mark chapter 16, verse 15. When you got it, say got it. You got it? If you don't, say hang on. I want you to have it. And let's read it together. Mark chapter 16. Verse 15. Got it? And he told them, go into all, there's that word again, go into all the world and preach the good news. Something you need to be reminded about when you're trying to lead people to Jesus and you're trying to share Christ. This is good news. This is fantastic news. Give me faith, Lord, to trust what you say, that you're good and your love is great. And why is that such a big deal in our culture? Because the giants of the land are trying to tell us he's not good and that his love is not great and that we're going to interfere in people's lives by telling people how good Jesus is and by telling people how great his love is. No, no, no. It's good and it's great. And we go into all the world and we share the good news, the gospel with everyone. Verse 16, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Luke 24, flip over. Luke 24, verse 46. Got it? And he said, that's Jesus, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of the name of Jesus to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. If there is a pushback in our culture today, it's that I have gone too far to ever come back to God. 
that I have sinned so much that I have outsinned the grace and the gospel and, and the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing could be further from the truth. That those who repent receive forgiveness of sin. And you are witnesses to all of these things. Witnesses to all of them. Now go tell people. What does a witness do? Witnesses and testifies. John chapter 15, verse 26. Flip over there. Make a lot of noise. I like that noise when you flip your Bible pages. It's good, Kelly. John 15, verse 26. But I will send you the advocate. Who is that? Who is the advocate? The Holy Spirit of God, part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit of God. I will send you the advocate, the Spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father, and you will testify all, there's the word again, all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. This is what he's telling these guys. you got to testify with the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Flip over there. I want us to read this one together. And so... uh, If you can read it on the screen, let's read that together. Uh, I'm using the New Living Translation, and uh, so let's read it in that translation so it makes some sort of sense out loud, okay? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now listen to what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going away. And you're staying. Over and over and over in Scripture, he healed people. He released people from the demons. And they said, we want to go with you. And Jesus said, no, you stay here. Go tell your family. Go tell the people that that you do life with. You stay here. And and Jesus said, I'll be back. Which is a great indication for us today, the same thing. I'm not here, but you are. And I'm here through you. And I'm coming back. And so as you stay here, I want you to follow my instructions, and I'm giving you a plan. And he gives them the plan. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Matthew 16, go into all the world and preach the good news. Luke 24, you are my witnesses. John 15, you must testify about me. Acts 1, you will be my witnesses everywhere. Plan A. For you and I to be included and in the gospel. Everyone is included. Right? couldn't be more fair it's only one way it's the same for everybody and the way is Jesus and all are invited and all who come to know him are included in inviting everyone else it could not be more fair and it could not be a better way than the way that Jesus set it out plan a go tell baptized disciple go tell baptized disciple we can make that a cheer go tell baptized disciple go tell baptized disciple go tell baptized disciple you're supposed to join in i preach better when you join in and and a whole lot better a whole lot faster but we we came up with the acrostic tell involve mature empower time right that's one of the phrases in our mission statement all people of all ages all the time Tell, involve, mature, and empower. This is the process. We're going to tell them about Jesus. We're going to involve them in ministry. We're going to watch them mature through discipleship, and we're going to empower them to go tell other people. And this is a process that happens 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time. As we watch this play out, go tell, baptize, disciple. And the imperative is you guys do this. 
You guys go and do this. You, you go into all the world. In other words, I'm not sending the angels or Moses uh, or John the Baptist. I'm sending you to go tell the world about me. And, and you've heard it, now go tell them and baptize them. In other words, you help them with their first steps of obedience. And being baptized, you disciple them, you lead them into all truth, just like I led you into all truth. And you do this process together. I, I will never forget the experience of going the first time. I became a youth pastor at a large church when I was 23 years old. And the church grew. The youth ministry grew to a really large youth ministry. And I didn't know what I was doing. And so I'm calling around, I'm meeting people, I'm flying all over the country trying to meet people saying, how do you do this and how do you do that? And I'm reading every book I can get my hand on. And as I, as I am discipling myself in this process of learning how to do youth ministry, I'm going to these conferences where all of a sudden the youth ministry grew to the point where I got invited to this mega metro youth pastors conference, which was the leaders from the 50 largest student ministries in the country. And every year they meet at a resort somewhere around the country and for three or four or five days they meet together and they sit in a, in a square or a big circle, chairs all facing one another and we just dialogue. Now, did it come back? It came back. Over all these student ministry issues and I am so excited and extremely uh, nervous about going to sit in the room with these guys. I mean, these are the heroes of youth ministry. I'd read their books and read their curriculum and, and uh, had listened to their tapes. And, and, and we go to this conference and, and I sit down in this room for the very first time. And I told myself all the way there, Alex, don't say a word. You just can't mess up if you just be quiet. And the uh, greatest advice my dad ever gave me regularly, he told me, don't pass up an opportunity to shut up. And because he knew me, right? And, and, so, and so I'm sitting there, and, uh, and I'm, just tell, I, I'm not going to say, well, I'm just going to listen, and I don't have anything to contribute, and I, I, I've just got to listen. And so I'm sitting there listening to uh, all these guys, and here comes the first discussion. And they took a, pab, uh, a tablet of paper, one of those big post-it tablets of paper, and they, they wrote discipleship or evangelism. And the discussion went around the room as to, is your student ministry a discipleship student ministry or an evangelistic student ministry? And my heart sank. Because I was here to gain knowledge, and I was here to gain experience, and I was here to gain truth. And for an hour, the discussion was, well, I think you should be a discipleship-oriented, or I think you should be evangelistic-oriented student ministry. And I just was so saddened by the conversation. And I'm telling myself, don't say a word, don't say a word, don't say a word. And one of the youth pastors looked at me and said, well, Alex, what do you think? And I saw that as an invitation from the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And so I said, I think this is the dumbest discussion I've ever heard in my life. How to win friends and influence people. <laughs> and offended, one of the leaders looked at me and said, what, what do you mean? I said, I just don't understand the discussion between discipleship and evangelism or evangelism and discipleship. I, I don't understand. They are so intimately attached to one another in Scripture. 
It's not one or the other. It's both and. Or do you do evangelism? Yes. Do you do discipleship? Yes. And, and, and for those of you who are saying you're a discipleship-oriented student ministry, what are you discipling them to do? If it doesn't involve evangelism and leading people to Jesus, then you've got to take the word disciple out of it. You just got ship. <laughs> and it's going to sink. If you're not telling other people about Jesus. And, and, and those of you who are saying, well, we're just evangelistic. If you're leading people to Jesus but not leading them into the truth and discipling them in, in the Word, and it just doesn't work. You're not making disciples according to Scripture. It's not just leading them to a prayer. You've got to lead them to a place where they come in understanding of the truth of the Word of God. They go hand in hand. And this is what we do according to this book. We do both. And we never would exclude one at the other. I don't find permission to exclude one from the other in Scripture. And so we're involved in all of it. We go out, we tell everyone, we bring them in, we disciple them. And we do that over and over and over again. And here's the key. It's not up to the pastor. You don't find that verse in Scripture. Go hire somebody to do this process for you. You can't delegate this process out. Say, well, you know, you'll, you'll do that for me. Would you go tell people about Jesus for me? That, that's just not the way it works. The imperative is for all of us who are children of God. You, you've been enlisted into God's roundup the day you received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When you started believing and you became a disciple, disciples make other disciples. They reproduce themselves. Is that not the sign of true maturity? It can be a sign of real immaturity as well. But, but in our culture, right, that is the way you mature and you grow. You grow up, you leave the house. To those of you who have kids at home who are 30, kick them out. <laughs> you're not helping them. And, and uh, listen to me, if your son is 30 and he's still living at home and you're doing his laundry and fixing all of his meals, he's never getting married. Why would he? If you're living at home and you're 30, you should do all the chores. Mom, let me get that. Mom, let me take care of that. This is your house, and I should be gone. And I'm a freeloader. <laughs> is that not the sign of maturity? Right? They leave. They leave. That's our job as parents, to get them ready to leave. My, sometimes my boys will say, I don't think I'm getting ready. I'm just staying here with Mom. I said, no, you're not. <laughs> 18, you're out. But then they go find a spouse, right? And they get married. Which I believe in arranged marriages today. <laughs> Firm believer. It's biblical. <laughs> who knows better than mom and dad who would be a better mate for that kid? Right? And, and, and so then they have children. Right? This is the sign of maturity that they go have kids of their own and they get dumber because they have children that view them, right? And this is the way the process works, and that's the sign of maturity. It's the same thing in spiritual world. The sign of maturity is reproducing yourself spiritually in the lives of other people. Maturity is not that you can recite John 1 every verse, maturity is that you've had babies. And that you are leading people to Jesus Christ and discipling other people in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Plan A for the church of God, all of its members, is to go and to do this job. We do not have a plan B. And so if you don't do it, well, 
you're missing your role. And you're missing your part in the story that God is playing out. And quite honestly, you're missing the privilege. There is nothing I wish for you more than the experience of leading others to Jesus personally. I don't know in the preaching ministry that the Lord has let me have over the last 20 years, 25 years, how many people have come to Christ? Thousands and thousands of people. But all of that does not get on the map of the one individuals that I get to have a conversation with and lead them to Jesus. It just doesn't, it doesn't even get on the map. It's one thing to watch thousands of people come forward and give their lives to Christ. It's another thing altogether to sit at a coffee shop across from somebody and watch them enter from one kingdom to another and know that you were responsible, that you had a part in that. And I want that for you. When you experience it, it is like a drug that you cannot get enough of. And it propels you into this state of sharing Jesus with everybody you meet. And I want that for you. I want to introduce you to a couple of my friends and your friends. They're regular people in our church. Uh, Kurt, would you come? And uh, Kurt is my chiropractor. And uh, so this wonderful posture I have up here is his doing. And, and uh, he tells me all the time, man, you've got to get those shoulders back and sit up straight. And I, I just have lousy posture, but that gives him a job. And uh, I love him. I love his heart. I love how he shares Jesus with people. He admits that he's not perfect on a regular basis. He gives me prayer requests for his own life. And, and, uh, but on a regular occurrence, I meet people in the guest reception who say, Kurt Oxner invited me. Or Dr. O invited me uh, to church or invited me to give my life to Christ. This morning, I'm walking to the baptistry, and a gentleman named Floyd says, I'm here because of Dr. Oxner. All the time I hear that. And, and so, Kurt, I, I just want you to... Uh, talk to people. Why, why are you continually talking to people about the Lord and about the church? Well, uh, Alex asked me this question in the first service, and I'm not sure with my ADD brain that I actually answered the question. But uh, You did it. You did it. I know. <laughs> anyway, I invite him because uh, somebody invited me at one point, and I remember a friend of mine that I uh, played golf with every week, and um, he would talk to me about Christ, and you know, I visited with him, and I said to him, I, uh, one day I asked him, I said, well, how come you ask all the people to uh, go to church with you all the time? And it wasn't, it was more church attendance than it was a relationship with Jesus, but he said, well, he said, you know, my responsibility as a believer, he said, is, uh, he goes, I know for certain that I'm going to heaven because of my relationship with him, but he said, my responsibility with me, or for me, is to take as many people with me as I, as I can. And so that's one of the major reasons that I ask people is because I was stuck in a, a situation in my life where I was a church attender. Uh, I attended church and was kind of going through the motions, doing the things that I felt like good Christians did and came to a point 30 years ago when uh, I asked Jesus to come into my heart and to change my life. And so uh, it became more about attending church. It was, uh, it was about having a personal relationship with him and desiring for everybody else that I met and that I ran into to have that same relationship. So... One of the comments you make to me regularly about the people that you're telling me about, and uh, regularly, I'm having a conversation with him, and I haven't confessed this to him, but regularly I, I'm having a conversation with him, and he's saying, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so as if I know who all these people are. He knows more people in this church than I do. And, uh, and he'll say so-and-so, and so-and-so, and just name after name after name after name. And the thing that you talk about in those people's lives is life change. Give us a story about somebody's life that was changed and... 
You know, I've had the opportunity to watch a lot of different people come to know Christ, but um, one of the things that's easy for me to invite them to this church is the fact that the church offers so many, so many things that every person that I invite has the opportunity to come and to, to plug into something mm -hmm. that they could connect to. But um, from a life change standpoint, Alex, um, you know, to see how Christ impacts people's lives and then... Um, I had a gentleman that came and sat across the table from me one day, and his life, he was going through a lot of hard, hard and difficult times, and he, um, he sat across the desk from me, and he said, you know, he goes, you don't, you don't understand. He goes, you don't know uh, what it's like not to be able to feed your family. You don't know what it's like not to have a job. You don't know what it's like, and, and honestly, I didn't. And I uh, was going through a continuing witness training program at my church and wanted to be able to share my faith in a more logical manner. And, and um, I hadn't learned everything I felt like I needed to learn. And I sat across a desk, and I, I just felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, um, no, you know, I don't know what it's like not to feed my family, and I don't know what it's like, you know, not to have a job. Hmm. But I do know somebody that does know that. Let me tell you about what he's done in my life. That's good. That's good. Do, do, give, here, here's the temptation is that you think, well, that's just personality. He, he's a caregiver. He's not a minister of the gospel professionally. He is a minister of the gospel, but that's not what he gets paid to do. He gets paid to care for people and to help patients. And one of the things I love about his office is the prayer is, Lord, send us the people that we can help today, which is a great prayer. And whatever your profession is, is I want to help the people I can help today. I know there's a bunch of people I can't help. Don't send them here because that would be a waste of my time and a waste of their time. But send the people that I could help uh, to my office or to my job or to whatever it is I do for a living. And that's how they pray at the office there and uh, just talking to people. And I sit there sometimes waiting on my turn to get in to see him and he's talking to everybody for a long, long time. And I just, you know, I just, sometimes I get in the flesh and think, man, I wish he quit talking about Jesus and just adjust him and let me get in there. So I can go on my day, and, uh, but, but he fixed that because he hired a bunch of staff and other doctors and therapists that they're there so you can see lots of people. And, but I've watched over the years the, the people that work with him coming, other doctors coming, uh, receptionists coming, the kids that he's hiring coming to the church and growing and getting plugged into the, uh, their walk with Jesus and seeing this play out. And so, Kurt, give them some sort of practical tip in the way that you would invite somebody in, in your office. Alex, that scripture in Acts that you read, um, I had written or penciled in above that at a previous time that a message had been preached, and it would talk about, I can't, I can't share with everybody, but I can share with the ones that God's prepared, you know, prepared me to share for. And in my, in my job, uh, we see a lot of different people, and so I think the first thing is just to make sure that you have a relationship with Christ so that you have something to share. I think the next thing that you can do is, is just make sure that you're sensitive to the guidance and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, the first person that invited me to this church actually took a more direct approach um, than I would take. But uh, we were out to dinner one Sunday, and uh, my wife and I saw Pastor Alex and his wife and several of his friends that we didn't know. And uh, he introduced me to his friends as this is Kurt and Jaxie Oxner. They're the newest members at the Church of Battle Creek. So. <laughs> That's a little more direct approach. They weren't attending here yet. We, we weren't going there, so we were going to a different church. And so, anyway. The, I named it and claimed it, brother. That's right. He yeah. was prophetic in yeah. that situation. Yeah. But I will tell you this. Uh, I think that's an important thing, too, is to understand that there are a lot of people that you uh, come into contact with each and every day where 
that they're really stuck in the same mode that I was, and that was go to church because you know that good, good Christians go to church and stuff. But my daughter came home from school um, from the University of Arkansas, and uh, she looked at me one Saturday night. I said, Wes, are you going to go to church with us in the morning? She goes, no, Dad, I'm not going. And I started to think about that, and I thought, well, you know, it kind of started bugging me. And I, I told her, I said, well, how come we're not going? She goes, Dad, I'm just, you know, you're just going through the motions. You just sit there. And she goes, the guy is standing up there. He's preaching. He's not relative. You know, he said, she goes, I, I really feel like, you know, I can spend my time more effectively. And I said, if you could go to church anywhere in this community, I said, I'll go to church with you wherever you want to go to church. And that was the first Sunday that I came to Church of Battle Creek. Mm. That's one of the ways that we answer questions. Because people will say to me, how do you get old people and older people to put up with the music and to put up with the things you do. I said, well, you do. I saw the light once a year. And, and uh, everybody's happy, right? And uh, the banjo is God's gift. And, and, uh, but really the answer to that question is, is you reach their kids and you reach their grandkids. And, uh, and then they'll put up with anything because they want to be a part of a ministry that is really giving life to future generations, and whether it's their style or not. Kurt, I love you, buddy, and I appreciate your heart. Thanks for sharing with us today. I want, I want to introduce you to one of our staff members, Matt uh, Philpot. Matt, would you come? Matt is uh, over our local uh, ministry here, and so the things that we're doing locally with benevolence and uh, clean slate and foster care, and all, all causes that we do all over Tulsa. Now we have uh, hired Matt, and Matt's in charge of that, and is doing a fantastic job, actually, and is a very, very contagious individual. Uh, and so, Matt, just talk to us about how, how do you, you've had a lot of divine appointments. In staff meetings, we share stories every week. And uh, it's one of the ways we evaluate staff members. And, and they may not know that. I've just confessed that. But it's one of the ways I evaluate. Because if staff members are sitting around a table, I said, tell us stories about how you accomplished the Great Commission this week and how we're moving the ball down the field and in terms of people, helping people advance. And a staff member sits there week after week and doesn't have any stories. I'm thinking, they ain't doing anything. Out. And, and uh, you know, we'll replace them with somebody else. And what I love about Matt is Matt, on a regular basis, has a story of somebody he led to Jesus, of some, some place that he was and some encounter that he had. And these divine appointments happened for Matt Philpot, And, and uh, I love hearing about them. How do you get ready for a divine appointment? It's pretty simple, really. I like my life simple, not complex. Uh, in the morning, I try and just wake up and talk to God. And it's just very simple. God, how do you want me to glorify your name today? Hmm. Nothing amazing. Sometimes I, it may be that I just, just ask him plain and simple, God, What's, what's your plan today for me? And Ephesians talks about, you know, I have good works ahead of schedule before you were born for you to do in my name. And I think, okay, what's that today for me, God? Because yesterday may be something totally different than what you're going to do in my life today. And so I kind of remember three things whenever I go throughout my day. One is, no matter who I come in contact with, I have something in common with every single person. Every one of you looking at me right now and hearing my voice, I have something in common with you. Some of you, I can click, and we go fishing together, hunting together, build something together. This, we have the that. same physique, you and I. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> the hair, too. Um, but I try and remember. It, it may be something simple as I have to go back to when I see somebody I'm sharing with them that says, you know what? If I have nothing else basically in common with you, I have the fact that you and my creator are the same person. And that your and my Savior is the same Jesus. Whether you've accepted him yet or not, 
We have the same Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and loves us unconditionally amongst all our faults. Mm -hmm. The second thing I remember when I'm talking with people is it's not me who's empowering me to do this. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who's speaking through me as a mouthpiece. It's the Holy Spirit who's speaking into the heart of the person I get to talk to. Mm -hmm. And it's not me. Third thing I try and remember is I'm not responsible for what comes out of it. Early on when I was younger and I began to share my faith over and over with people and people wouldn't come to know Christ, I put my head down and I walked back defeated and sometimes very angry and like, God, I prayed for these people. I shared with these people. I tried to do everything right, hit all those scriptures and they didn't accept you. And I felt like a failure. And God began to teach me over here, son, it's not yours to save. You're my messenger, a messenger of the king. When you speak on my behalf, let me do the work. You just speak it, you act it, I'll take care of the results. One of those situations came up just a little while back. I like to go to the gym, Alex and I, we go together and bench press and. I pull weights off when I'm done for yeah, him. Yeah. To, uh, I appreciate that. But I'm, I, my wife's been after my cholesterol and going and running and being healthier even though it's fine. And so one morning I felt like God just told me to get up early and go to the gym and go run. And so I got up early, I went to the gym, and praise God, the electricity was out. Because <laughs> treadmills don't run without electricity. So I thought, I can go back home, brownie points, because I went. Because the pavement is not an option. That's All the land see, that God's given us to run on, see, not an option. You give my wife yeah. <laughs> ammo against me. So I went in the gym, and I was just kind of sitting around, and uh, there's this guy in the back of the gym built like an ox, working out. And the uh, Holy Spirit just prompted my heart, Matt, does he know Jesus? I, thought, I don't know. I'll go talk to him. So I went to the back of the gym in the dark, which, you know, it's kind of a unique situation. But we're back there in the dark talking, and um, we go through the basics, you know, what's your name? You know, you live around here, you work around here. Just kind What of do you look like? The lights aren't on. <laughs> yeah. As we go through this, I just, I got to the point where I said, you go to church anywhere? And he said, no. He told me kind of a, a frustrating path that, that had gone through in his life and the struggles and just where he was at. And I said, man, I said, I'd love for you to come to church with me on Sunday and sit with me. And he said, I can't, I, I work on Sunday. And I said, I'll find a church on Saturday night and you and I can go to church on Saturday night. And of course he squirmed a little and I was like, Saturday night, I'll go with you. And he said, well, I don't have a vehicle, I can't get there. I said, I got a truck, I'll come pick you up. And he said, well, man, I work night shifts kind of, so I'll be sleeping part of it maybe. And I was like, I was like Can you, you can be all right, I'll, I'll come pick you up. So Saturday rolls around, I go to his house, bang on the door, he's sleeping, wake him up, let's go to church. He gets ready, we go to church. Throughout the service, just a guy was speaking to his heart, I could tell, and afterwards we went and picked up some bueno, and we're driving in my truck, eating bueno, and... Um, which is scare people into heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get to that. Um, we're, we're driving out like 61st or something. And I just, I just asked him, Vance, you know, if right now this truck crashed into something, both of us die. Did you swerve when you said that? I jerked yeah. a little. Um, <laughs> hey, you got to do what you got to do. So I just said, you know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm going to heaven. Do you? And he said, no, Matt, I've gone to church. You know, I try and read my Bible. You know, the, the typical answers. And I said, I didn't ask that. 
Do you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? And that's it. Nothing else. That. He said, no. And I said, brother, do you want one? He said, I do. And uh, again, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I like to spur the moment stuff sometimes. And I said, I want you to bow your head while we're driving down eating Bueno. And I'm going to lead you in the sinner's prayer. And I went through it again to make sure he understood what he was doing. He said, I want to do that. And so he went through and prayed to receive Christ in my pickup truck eating Bueno down 61st Street. And uh, we got to speak to, into each other's lives the next couple of weeks before God took him for a job to Colorado. And I haven't seen him since. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that man's going to be in heaven one day. Mm-hmm. And it's not because of me. It's because the Holy Spirit acted and loved him enough to intervene in his life. And many people, my wife included, you know, many times in your life you get that feeling. It's like the Holy Spirit says something to you. You think to yourself, that's going to make me very uncomfortable. Or if I do that and I'm wrong, I'm going to look stupid. And I've felt that many times. It was a few years back, God began to kind of deal with me on that. Matt, you're my servant. If you're speaking in my name, I'll speak through you. Quit trying to think you need to have all the answers and all the scriptures memorized. You don't. Just speak. And I was, it was Saturday night, and my sons, they have their, their buddies come over and spend the night, and we have a kind of a rule in our house. If you stink, you're going to take a shower before you spend the night. <laughs> and so that's a good rule, I'm telling you. He baptizes them. And, that's and, right. Quick, impromptu, <laughs> get it done. And I, you know, boys, when they're young, they'll take showers at the same time together. They don't care. And so they're taking showers, and I, I'm walking through my bedroom, and I hear one of my sons sharing the plan of salvation with his buddy in the shower. <laughs> and I thought to myself, like father, I have, like son. I have, <laughs> I have never been that uncomfortable <laughs> in a situation like that and still shared my faith. And if my eight and 11 year old sons can do that, daddy needs to do it. And I need to not worry about if I'm gonna look foolish. Share the gospel, not in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> and again, that's just one of those stories where God worked in my own heart, you know? That's Matt, good. trust me. That's kind of it in a nutshell. That's good. Would you thank Matt? And see, here, you hear these stories, and here's, here's the temptation for you to think. Your temptation is to think that I'm hearing these stories of plan A working in some people's lives, but that's them, or that's a personality trait. And I'm here today to tell you that's not a personality trait. It's a commandment for all of us. And that we would use our personalities, and we would use our gift mixes, and we would use our sphere of influence, and everything that God puts in our hands and in our lives to share the gospel with people who need Jesus Christ. And, and so many people have come to Christ here because we decided to partner with one another. And we said, you know what? We want to be a staff team that says, if you will invite people to this place, we'll share the gospel in a clear, relevant way. And we'll help you lead your friends to Christ. Easter is the greatest opportunity all year long uh, for you to do that. And if you feel like you're not up to it, uh, he said, go and do it. But he didn't leave us without the power to do it. Go back to that story of Jesus resurrecting and high-fiving the angels, 
him explaining plan A. With all of the pushback, maybe Jesus pushed back from the table and said, guys, I, I, I don't have a plan B. This is plan A, but you, you didn't let me get to the best part of plan A. And the best part is I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And he's going to live inside of those who know me as Lord and Savior. And he will inhabit them and he will give them the words to say when they don't know what to say. And he'll give them the power to live their lives in such a way that attract people to want to know about the gospel. And he will even go before them and prepare the hearts of those who are going to accept the gospel and convict the world of righteousness and sin. And and the angels probably looked at it, oh, okay. Should have said so. Now we get it. And now we believe that that plan will work. That he gives us the power in the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, and if you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. They come together. When you give your life to Christ, the fullness of the Godhead is placed upon him. And when he comes in, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. To empower you. To live a life that's salt and light. A life that makes you a fisher of men. And that's what Jesus wants for you and that's what he wants for me and the only way you can be a witness is if first of all you have the witness of the Holy Spirit of God in your life as before I go any further and then I'm going to take the time that I've allotted here at the end for us to pray together but I if you haven't given your life to Christ I want to invite you to do that right now in all of our environments would you bow your head would you close your eyes if you're watching online today would you pray with me And if you want to give your life to Jesus, would you just pray with me and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, for saving me. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place and for my sin on that cross. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me just say to you, if you prayed that prayer, it's the smartest thing you've ever done. And in a moment, I'm going to tell you how you can tell us about that. But I want to draw your attention to these two cards that were in each chair when you came in today. And it says, I'm praying for. And in the next few minutes, I want us to go into a ministry moment and a response time where we ask the Lord and we ask the Holy Spirit who lives in us, Lord, would you lead me and would you lay on my heart three people that I could invest in over the next two weeks and I could invite to be my guest on Easter Sunday or the weeks following Easter Sunday, the series uh, that I'm going to start on Easter Sunday is relevant to everybody in Tulsa. And and so I want to invite you to pray and to ask God, who are the people that you want me to invest in? Who are the people you want me to invite to a place where they could come to know Jesus Christ. And as God lays those names on your heart, would you just write them on on these cards? The reason I've given you two is because I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. When you have the names, bring the card to the altar and pray for those people. And that God would bring this equation together by getting their heart ready, getting you ready, and giving you opportunity to share with them and invest in their lives and earn the right to invite them to a place where they could come to know Christ. And and if you fill two out, you can leave one here at the altar. What you're saying there is, I want the staff to pray with me. 
about these names. So on the one you're going to leave, put your name at the top and then the three names that you're praying for. And then you can leave it at the altar. And after church today, we'll collect them and our staff team will be praying for you and for those names individually over the next two weeks that God would give you favor with those people. Michael and the band are going to lead us. That God would give us faith. Sing that song over us. As God gives you the names, as you pray about it, you write them down. You come to this altar and let's pray for these people all over this city uh, today.
Father, in this place, we thank you for that promise. That we may be weak and our flesh may fail us, but Lord, you never will. And if your agenda is for the whole world to know, and your plan for the whole world to know is us, we surrender to that. And we submit to that and we ask you to give us faith. Give us faith to trust you. This is good news that your love is great and that you want to change lives for the better for all eternity Father I thank you for the last nine years almost nine what you've done in this place and the lives that you've saved through this ministry I pray that this Easter season that you would give us a bountiful harvest of men and women and boys and girls who need Jesus. Give us success and favor with those we love and we care about, that we do life with, and our teams that our kids are a part of, people we work with. Give us favor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.